This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Good morning. It is great to be here, and we had a, a fantastic weekend together. Um, 85 couples joined us over in the youth hall, and uh, just very responsive, very receptive, and Linda and I felt right at home with y'all. I'm even starting to say y'all. Doesn't take long, does it? Um, but uh, it was a, a great time, and our ministry is dedicated to the restoration of families. Our ministry is, is, was birthed out of failure, out of pain. Although we had been in ministry, although we loved our family, our church, our, our, our home in every way, shape, and form, as I shared with the couples this weekend, Lynn and I began to disconnect from each other in ways that we really weren't even cognizant of in so many ways. Uh, we, we, we were always those that just kind of kept on doing what we had to do to make it work, you know, the old pull up your bootstraps and make it all happen. And yet somehow in the midst of all of that, Linda and I almost lost each other. I almost lost her when one day she came to me and said, Tim, I need more attention from you. And in my self-centeredness and my pride, I didn't want to be wrong, so instead of hearing her heart, I looked at her and I said, I don't know what more I can do. It was only a few weeks later that she wrote a note, left it in my office and said, I'm leaving and I'm never coming home. I'm thankful to tell you that two days later she did come home only because God told her to, but she did come home and in that obedience we found out things and I found out things that was hard and I talked a lot about that this weekend and I won't go into that today. All I want to do is suffice all of that to say this, that Linda and I don't come to you today as book-learned experts. We don't come to you because we have a master's degree or a doctorate in counseling or in marriage and family. We come to you because we went through the, the school of hard knocks. We learned some hard lessons the hard way, and yet God seems to be good at taking our failures, doesn't he, and turning them into his pleasure and allowing us to be used by him. I love Hebrews 5 where it says that every high priest is drawn from among men. Why? So that they could understand the weaknesses and ignorances of men. So we come to you today hopefully in that mindset where we want to share with you some things that God has taught us, things that we've learned that we want to share with you. And uh, the message I'm going to share this morning is taken from a passage that I think all of you are familiar with. But I hope to bring you some fresh insights to that this morning. It's in Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. But before I take you there, let me, uh, let me just make a few introductory comments. Um, there are obviously some of you, many of you, that were not able to be a part of this weekend's conference. And uh, we have all of our resources, all of our conferences on CD. We have our True Intimacy Marriage Conference, which we did this last weekend. That's available. We have a table in the lobby and uh, we have it on CD and DVD. It comes with a workbook. So you can literally take it home with you and go through it just like you would have been with us this weekend if uh, you were not able to be there. Also, it's a great gift for someone that you know. And all of us know someone that's struggling 
uh, needing a boost in their marriage, needing a little shot in the arm, and uh, that will be a great gift for you. Maybe you have children that are newlyweds, and maybe they're kind of starting to feel the, the pains of what it takes to have a godly relationship. That will be available for you out there. We have our newest marriage conference called Thrive, which really deals more with skills, learning uh, what your uh, relationship style is, how do you relate with other people, etc. Talk about communication, listening skills, etc. That's available as well on CD. comes with a workbook. And finally, uh, I do a men's seminar across the United States. Actually, it was the first seminar that I did after God began to stir this ministry in our hearts. And I began to speak to the men about the things that God was showing me and how I had failed in my marriage and what some of the common denominators are in all of us as men. And out of that came a seminar that I do called Godly Masculinity. And in it, I help real men discover their true heart. And that is something that we have a hard time with sometimes. We're, we, we protect that very much because we're not sure what all is there. But I encourage men to be like David that said, God, know my heart. See if there's anything in me that doesn't please you, anything that's destroying those around me. So those are our three main seminars. They're all available on the table. We have suggested donations for each of them. But I just want you to know, if you can't afford what our suggested donation is, we don't care what you give. We want you to get it into your hands. So just let Linda know what you can do, and we'll take it. That didn't sound right. We'll take it. We'll accept that graciously. But uh, I have some single-message CDs out there as well, so please stop by and check those out. Now, Linda is going to be there at the table afterwards, but in the crowd, I have lost her this morning. So I need, I want to introduce my best friend, my wife of almost 30 years, Linda Buttry. Oh, all the way in the back, the balcony folks, sorry, you can't see her. There she is, my beautiful bride, my redhead beauty that I met at at Ohio Youth Camp, back where Larry and I both went as kids, and uh, so great stuff. You know, love is a funny thing. Yeah. Is that the same guy that was on the front row at the conference? <laughs> um, how many of you remember the song, Love is a Many Splendored Thing? How many of you remember that song? It dates us, I know, but you remember that song? Well, it seems like the farther we go sometimes in love, it goes from love is a many splendored thing to love is a many splintered thing. Love is hard. I don't know how long it's been since you've heard those wonderful words, but love sometimes can get lost in the midst of all of our demands, the chaos, the uh, ambushes like we talked about this weekend. I think sometimes as we get old, we get a little jaded, don't we? We, we kind of have bad memories perhaps or pain that comes from wounds in the past. I think sometimes it's important for us to just kind of return to the simplicity of what it means to be a child. What does a child think about love? I mean, Art Linkletter and uh, Bill Cosby did a great job of being able to take kids and ask them some hard questions, and they would somehow give us wonderfully deep philosophical answers from these wonderful little minds. Well, there was a group of professionals that had the same idea, and they wanted to ask these kids, ages four to eight, what love means. Pretty simple question. Their responses, I think, will encourage and impress you. Rebecca, age eight, said this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even after his hands got arthritis too. 
Yeah. Billy, age four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. Your name is safe in their mouth. That's deep. That's a good question. Is your spouse's name safe in your mouth? Carl, age five, said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Young people, that's all you're allowed to do. Bobby, age five, said, loves what's in the room with you at Christmas time if you stop and listen. Mark, age six, said, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor. I just can't ever not say that one. I, I don't know what happens. Noel, age seven, says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. About three years ago, Linda told me she liked this scruffy little thing on my face, and I've never shaved it off since. I guess I'm just like a little kid. Tommy, age six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends, even after they know each other so well. Jessica, age eight, said, You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. I don't know if you've forgotten what love sounds like. I don't know how long it might have been since you have genuinely heard those three little words that mean so much to the human heart. What I have found is that all anyone wants is to be loved. That's all any of us are wanting and looking for. And yet, because of what I do and the many couples that I've counseled and the thousands of people that we've ministered to in our conferences, unfortunately, what I know is that there are too many people that haven't heard those words and don't know what it means to feel loved anymore. God has called us to try to help change that, to turn that around. And I think that in our discovery, what we found is that some of the reasons that that doesn't happen anymore is what's going on inside of us personally. It's not always about the other person. Sometimes it's about what it is that's going on inside of us, and we don't see what it is that might be driving us, what it is we might be demanding and expecting that sets us up. In America today, According to a secular poll that was taken, 93% of all people interviewed said that a stable marriage for a lifetime was very important to them. So as you look across America, here's what you see. You see people losing hope in marriage, but they haven't lost the dream. They've lost the hope, but they haven't lost the dream. Of those 93% of people who said marriage was very important to them, When they were asked this question, do you believe you can really have a stable marriage for a lifetime, less than 50% of those same people believe that it is still possible today. That's an interesting number in light of the divorce statistics. People have the dream of a good marriage. They've just lost the hope. There is a, a glimmer of hope on the horizon of the 
young people in America today, those junior high through college age young people who took the same survey every year, the number of young people saying they want a stable marriage for a lifetime is going up, not down. The only problem is they just don't believe that it really is possible because all they've ever seen, for the most part, is that a stable marriage isn't likely. But I am here to tell you this morning, even if I stand before you like John as a voice in the wilderness, to tell you that it is possible and that God does have a perfect plan for marriage. If you haven't done so, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 5. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. And I want to read this passage and I want to identify some things that I believe are important. First of all, let me just say this before I read it. I believe that this is the most revealing passage of Scripture in the entire Bible concerning marriage. I also believe that it is the most misunderstood, disliked, uh, abused, and misused passages of Scripture perhaps in the entire Bible. But I would like to say that until we accept understand and adopt this plan for marriage. Marriage will never work for us or for anyone else. The dream that we have will only come true if we do it God's way. Read it with me. Verse 21 is absolutely critical that you understand this so that it is equal. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Emerson Egrich's book came from that verse, Love and Respect. That's what makes it work. There are a lot of things that I could talk about regarding this passage of Scripture. Many insights, many sermons that perhaps you've even heard yourself. But I want to identify at least a couple things that I know. And what I know about this passage of Scripture is that everyone loves what it says about their spouse. And they hate what it says about them. The other thing I know is that all of us are afraid to be the first one to act on it. Let me illustrate. For example, a woman 
hears this passage of Scripture, and she reads, Woman, submit as to the Lord. And the natural reasoning of a woman might be something like this. Well, yeah, I'd submit to him if he acted like the Lord, but I think he might be demon-possessed. I mean, I've calculated his name, and I'm pretty sure it's 666. And for all I know, he could be the Antichrist. If he acted like the Lord, I'd treat him like the Lord. Well, a man, he's reading this passage of Scripture, and he's reading about sacrificing for her, laying down his life, and he's thinking something like this. Oh, my goodness. With that attitude, I am going to be cleaning house all night long while she's sipping in the chamomile tea in the tub. This woman is going to rule me for the rest of my life. Here's what I want to tell you about marriage in America today. Marriage still works. You know what? Would you just say that out loud with me? Just say it out loud. Say, marriage still works. Young people that are here today, those of you that have not yet gotten married, I want you to know marriage still works. It is not archaic. It is not outdated. It is not for a previous generation. It is God's idea, and it works. You just have to do it His way. There's so much that I'd love to share with you from this passage, but today what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on one single truth. I want to extract one thing, whether you're taking notes or whether you're just going to take this by memory, I want you to be able to remember this. The one truth that I want you to remember is this. Ephesians 5 disables our sin nature. Ephesians 5 disables our sin nature and keeps it from destroying our marriage. As you know from God's Word, we are born with a sin nature. We are fallen creatures. And your sin nature cannot be successfully married to anyone. Not who you're with now, or not who you think you do better off with later. You cannot be married successfully if your sin nature is ruling. No one can have their sin nature married to someone else and it not destroy the relationship. We have to disarm the sin nature. Ephesians 5 disarms the sin nature in both of us that has the potential to destroy our relationship. Now, these roles that we find in Ephesians 5 are different for men and women Because our sin natures as men and women are different. I see Ephesians 5 as an identification of a sickness that is in our hearts. And there is a unique sickness for men and a unique sickness for women. And God says, I have an antidote for that. I have a cure. I have a prescription for you that if you take this, it will get rid of that which has the potential of destroying you. And if we can look at Ephesians 5 less like some uncomfortable little thing we've got to do and it has no effect or value, instead it is literally a prescription. Now, I mentioned that the the prescription is different because the problem is different. Let me explain what I mean. When I talk about submission, ladies, 
Here's what I want you to understand. Now, I'm just going to start with the ladies, okay, and then we'll just kind of take care of that and move on, all right? When I talk about submission, here's what I want you to understand. Women do have a different sin nature than men. Linda and I have come to identify a woman's sin nature as a prideful independence. It's always quiet when I say that. And I understand why, because that's what we call a bitter pill to swallow. But I want you to understand where I come up with that. I don't want you to think that I just had a horrible childhood or that I hate my mother or something. Um, Because that's not the case at all. I want to take you back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3 where we discover something that was going on in the garden. And I want you to remember that Eve ate the fruit without ever consulting God or her husband. Even though she had been given a direct message from God through her husband, she sat there and consulted with the devil. And that is why the Bible says that women are more prone to deception. And so God comes to women and says, that's your sin nature, and I have a way, I have a prescription, I have an antidote for that problem. And he says, and here's what he says, I am going to put on you an extra layer of authority, and that is going to disable that sin nature. Ladies, it is for your protection, not for your pain. It is not to be something that is uncomfortable, although I know that because of a man's sin nature, sometimes your prescription can be a little more difficult as well. I'll get to the men. Trust me. So this extra layer of authority is not because you are not as intelligent or as respected or as loved. It's because you have the tendency to be independent. To make decisions without consulting your husband because you think he has absolutely nothing at all to tell you. Then God comes to men. Again, a man's sin nature is different than a woman. His sin nature is what Linda and I have come to identify as a passive insensitivity. That sin nature is one that I think... uh, All of us have seen in some man, father, husband, etc., in our lives at some point or another. Why do I say that? Again, I go back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and I look at what it is that's going on in the garden. Think about it with me. Here's Eve. She went ahead and did what she wanted to do. But what if Adam would have done what he was supposed to do? What if God, Adam who was commanded by God to take dominion over the earth, to rule it, to subdue it, gave him assertiveness, gave him authority, and yet, even in light of those very violent, militant terms, he sat there. This this calling that God has put on men, this strength that he's given us, Really, all that it means is that if anything stands up against the will of God, you stand up and kill it. God gave us authority not for our own use. He didn't give us strength and power for self-centered reasons so we can usurp it on others. 
He didn't give it so that we can rule over our wives. He gave it to us so we will protect them. And so let's go back to the garden for a minute. Let's just look at that. Let's just kind of conjure up an image in your mind, if you would. I kind of imagine that maybe Adam's over here sitting on his rock, maybe whittling away on a piece of wood, just kind of enjoying a day in the garden. Eve over there underneath the tree, uh, enjoying the, the, the shade of that tree, and in comes this serpent. Now, I believe that Satan had to get permission. I kind of mentioned this yesterday with the, the, the folks that were there, that I don't believe, even though it's not in the biblical narrative, I believe based on biblical truth, there's no way that Satan could have just uh, strolled in there or squirmed in there or whatever he did and, and, and begin to tempt God's creation. And so if, in fact, God gave permission to the serpent, to Satan, to come in and tempt Adam and Eve, then there's a reason that God would have done that because I believe that God trusted Adam. He trusted his strength. He trusted his masculinity. He trusted that he was going to do the right thing. But Adam, instead, sat there on his rock and did absolutely nothing. His wife was in mortal danger. And yet he thought he would just sit by and see how it all played out. You know, I'd like to say I don't understand that. I'd like to say that I've never acted that way. But I've already alluded to the point and the fact that Linda came to me and said, Tim, I need more attention. I believe that what came out of my heart that day is exactly the same as why Adam sat there and didn't protect his wife. When I said, I don't know what more I can do, I was being lazy. I was being passive. And insensitive. Even though I prided myself in being a strong leader, yet in that moment, because of my heart, I missed perhaps the greatest opportunity of my life to protect my wife, and I missed it. What about you, gentlemen? Is it possible that you too have been passive, insensitive? If so, God comes to us, men, and he says, I have an answer for that laziness in you. He says, I am going to put on you an extra layer of responsibility. He places on the woman an extra layer of authority, and on us men, he places an extra layer of responsibility. Understand this. If we accept the roles, if we take the medicine, the antidote that is in Ephesians 5, it disables our sin nature. If I will sacrificially love Linda the way God has told me to, to nourish her, to cherish her, if I will do everything it takes to give her what she needs, I will never be passively insensitive again. If Linda will love me, honor me, submit to me as she would to the Lord, though we are equals, it disables her sin nature. Remember, your sin nature cannot be successfully married to anyone. It has to be crucified. And the roles 
in Ephesians 5 do just that. Your marriage can work if you will take responsibility for what it is that's going on in you. Ladies, don't say, well, I'll start being submissive when he starts loving me. Start being submissive and see if maybe he'll start loving you as a response. Who knows what God can do? Now, I know that all of that comes across hard. There are people that think they've tried. I do enough counseling to know that saying something like that, somebody's going to feel like you don't understand. You don't know what I go through. You don't know what I've tried to do. And you're right, I don't. All I can give you today is what I believe with all of my heart and that God has a plan, that there is a way, that there is something that can be done. It's not too late. It never is. And if you are willing, if you are humble, if you are gracious, you will be willing to find out, maybe I missed something. And if you will, if you are, who knows? Who knows? I'll tell you what. If I was really sick and I was told that if I took this medicine, I'd be able to live the rest of my life healthy and happy, I'd take it. I don't know about you, but I'd take it. And all I'm offering you today is an opportunity to understand your heart, to see how that lives itself out, see if there might be a possibility, men, that you've been passively insensitive. See if maybe you've been acting more like Adam and less like Jesus and you will choose today to start acting more like Christ in your home and stop being a baby and stop whining and hiding away and shutting down. Yeah, I got a few claps out of that. I don't need that, but thank you. Ladies, if, if you'll just stop making excuses and stop reacting and being angry and doing things that dishonors your husband and makes him feel like he has no way to get around all of this. If you'll start just realizing that God can do something through you, that through your gentle and quiet spirit, God can use you to completely and radically transform your husband. Now, these are just the simple things. I know that they, these are principles. They are not like you can go home and say, okay, I'll do this and it'll work. No, it doesn't work that way. It has to be from a change of the heart, a change of the way you think. And if what I say today rings true for you, ask God to show you. Just say, Lord, as a man, show me if I've been passively insensitive. Maybe you could even go so far as to ask your wife if she thinks you have. And ladies, you could do the same. Investigate your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to ask you if you've been pridefully independent. Maybe you'd even be willing to ask your husband if he feels like you ever do things when he really wishes you hadn't or that he wishes you would have included him in some decision, but you've gone ahead and made plans with the family to do everything that you think is great and he doesn't know a thing about it until he goes on it. These are the kind of things that I find in counseling that just mess up couples and causes resentment and bitterness, and it doesn't have to be that way. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to stop struggling with Ephesians 5. It's time for us to just embrace it, for us to come to God and say, you're right, I do have a sin nature. For women, it's time you come and just admit that you have that rebellious side, that independent side that, that doesn't want to submit and say, Lord, you are right to put an extra layer of authority on me and I receive it and I embrace it. It's time for us men to come to God and say, I admit that I have that 
passive insensitivity. I just want to detach. I want to do my own thing. I want to find the easiest way out. And God, you are right to put an extra layer of responsibility on me, and I embrace it. I crucify that lazy part of me. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. That is the good news. You don't have to be afraid of this if the Spirit of God lives in you. Because you no longer walk that walk. You no longer talk that talk. You are a new creation. Start acting like it. Stop following in Adam and Eve's footsteps. They blew it. Love them. They're mom and dad. But you don't have to do the same thing as them or even your own parents. If your dad failed you, you don't have to walk in his footsteps. You can start a new thing. You can establish a heritage and a legacy that is started with you. And God is really good at that, and he loves doing it. So let him. How do you close a service like this? There are times that I think, well, maybe I should have people come down to an altar and just really ask, you know what? I, I, I love altars. I believe in coming to an altar and praying. I believe in seeking God and humbling our hearts. But I think that sometimes we use that as the, the end all. And if I do that, then everything's going to be... It's where the altar is, is actually that door. You can cry and pray and do everything. But if you leave here and you talk to your spouse in ugly ways, what good is it? If you don't understand how deep this is, then what I, what I really want you to do is I want you to humble your hearts right now before the Lord. And you can, we can all do that. Young people, if you're not married, you say, well, what does this have to do with me? Believe me, it has a lot to do with you. <laughs> if you can figure this out now, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble. If you can begin to investigate your own heart and see what's going on there now, you'll be a lot more prepared for letting someone else into your life that you're not looking to to meet your needs. But instead, you're looking at this opportunity as one that you can be like Christ and you can give. Bow your hearts in prayer with me, if you would, please. As your eyes are closed, as your heads are bowed, as we make an altar before the Lord, in our hearts right now. My hope for you is that as we pray this prayer, as all of us submit to Christ, that you will allow Him, give Him permission. That's the main thing I want to happen in this prayer time. Give the Holy Spirit permission to show you when, where, and how this sin nature shows up in your life. When is it that you are passive and insensitive? When is it that you are prideful and independent? How does that show up? Where does it show up? Why does it show up? And submit to the Lord that as he shows you and reveals you these things, that you will be humble enough to acknowledge it and to ask him to change you. So as we pray, as I pray this prayer of blessing over you, as we've heard these concepts that I trust are fresh and and invigorating and inspiring for you, that you will take this opportunity, and maybe you'll even talk about it with your spouse and say, what did you think about that? Do I ever do that? Wow, think what could come of that conversation if you just allowed it to happen.
Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this great church and how receptive and responsive they are. And Lord, I know that you're doing a great thing, and I know that that always starts from the top down. And I thank you for Pastor Larry. I thank you for how he has also responded humbly and graciously and uh, is wanting to do something that will make a difference for all of the marriages of his congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless this church, that you would protect this church from the evil one, that you would protect every marriage in Jesus' name, that you would give them truth that will set them free, that you will reveal to them how they can have all that their hearts have longed for this side of heaven. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time, bless each couple, each marriage, each home. Lord, I thank you for that, and I praise you that you are working personally in every heart, in every life, in every home right now. Restore, refresh, reconcile, make new. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.